Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to the Psychic Coffee Shop Podcast Network. Shop, Mountain Bell's episode. With me tonight is, of course, Techie Joe. He's in the lead seat, and I'm in the co-host seat for a little while. That's the way we're running this tonight. Let's see, the orange pickle is being their normal bullshit excel. Yes! It's basically, it's just, it never ends, does it? It's Mm-mm. well, and that was the whole thing. Like th- this whole week, it has seemed like it's just stupid. Like Trump does stupid. Trump does stupid. Trump does stupid. Trump does stupid. And even this evening, like just trying to find like, okay, let's do a non-Trump article. Like you go into anything that's U.S. news right now, and it's like Trump stupid. Trump stupid. Trump stupid. Trump stupid. Trump stupid. I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, well, I can't find anything better to do than two Trump articles. Because um, no. I was like, really, you know, I, I, I hate doing the, the double tap, but, you know. Well, you know, when we're left with no choice, and when I say no choice, it's because there, you can't miss it. Like, if there was a way to miss this, to go around it, yeah. we could deal with that. Okay, we can yeah. we work around a lot of things, not to, you know, because there's things that we don't talk about. But this UN thing, I'm like, dear God, Fronts Pence must be sitting on the UN going, uh, uh-uh, we can't say that. Mother wouldn't like it. I I, I don't even think it's that. I, I think it is quite frankly just. That this is the he he knows his base he knows what they want, um and I don't even think it's really about what it's about, um uh-huh. and, and just to clarify we we are talking about an article from the Guardian, um mm-hmm. entitled U.S. threatens to veto U.N. resolution on rape as weapon of war officials say. And what's basically happening is they were looking to um, adopt a uh, 
a resolution through the UN Security Council regarding to rape and war, and there's this one section um, that talks about um, offering victim support, and it references gender, it references medical care and um, sexual and reproductive health. Um, and basically what, what happened is the U.S. has said, mm, no. Um, so not only are they looking, and this is, this is basically a, sort of like a modification, there's a 2013 resolution on sexual violence, um, and what would happen is if they were to go ahead and move forward on this new resolution and it doesn't pass, it looks like they would have to vote to reinstate or continue using the 2013 version, mm-hmm. um, at which point the U.S. has already said they would get rid of that one too. They would veto yeah. it. And it's just, but I don't think it's about that. I really don't. No. I, I, it, I, like, I think that's the, the, oh, the not as politically incorrect version, uh-huh. the, the version you, we can talk about. Because um, uh-huh. I think the reality is um, they're just looking for an excuse to um, basically try to whittle away as much on the concept of rape as they possibly right. can. Just, right. you know, that to, to effectively try to work our way backwards um, to, you know, rape not really being a crime that's prosecuted. Um, yeah, I mean, it's not that there was ever a time when there was no such thing. Not that there was ever a time in which, um, rape was less of a thing. It's more so that the nonstop, um, attack that, that has been made by the right against the expansion of what is rape. What actions does one have to take against another uh, human being um, before you cross that line? Mm -hmm. A lot of this... Yeah, it it just basically, I, I think, just sits there and straddles that point and is trying to whittle that away as much as possible. That it's not what they're going to outright say. It's not what they're going to actually, you know, so to speak, campaign on. Um, right. You know, they're going to call it protecting the family and blah, blah, blah. Um, but ultimately, if they were given a, uh, the the ultimate goal, I think, would be is to press the issue down to a vote on the new resolution and then use that mm-hmm. as an opportunity to kill two birds one stone. Right. And this is what annoys me. This is mm-hmm. what happens when we do not teach history. 
Um, this is what happens when we listen to conservatives, Christian, evangelicals who want to whittle and whittle and whittle away the rights of women, the rights of men, mm-hmm. the rights to say, no, you know, you cannot nuclear bomb our country, nor can you rape and pillage us, even if your little book right. says that you can You know, it's like, you know, victim shaming. I've seen so much of that out of this administration that it drives me up a wall. And it's like, are you that, you know, and it just goes past and beyond the point of, you know, losing my temper at an administration that doesn't even want human rights. Much less, you know, for women to be able to have rights to their own body, make their own choices, rights for men to make their own choices, um, the use of the word gender. Mother must not like that word, apparently. You know, and it's like, no. This is, you know, 2019, we're going into 2020. It's time to put this crap to rest. It's time to say, mm-hmm. you know, you don't commit rape, you should be castrated. We'll fix that problem. You go and you, you know, don't want to deal with, you know, you go and you take over this country and you rape and pillage and take everything over. That was nice during barbarian times. It's no longer acceptable. We're no longer going to well, deal with I, this from you. But we also have to step back for a moment and go, the whole reason that we have a southern border emergency, and put big mm-hmm. giant air quotes around that, was supposedly because of all the uh, uh, drugs and rapists we were letting across the border. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, like right now, what what I see in this is the double standard. Mm-hmm. Um, when we're talking about people coming up from South America, or you know, south uh-huh. of the, the United States, mm-hmm. then we can talk about rapists. But when we're talking about the U.S. And specifically, um, you know, as this relates to war, um, mm-hmm. we're talking about U.S. soldiers going into another country. Um, then we want to pretend um, like rape doesn't exist. Right. And so there's a double standard at play there. Um, because sure. I, I think what this ultimately tries to say is when we're talking about people of color, mm-hmm. we're talking about rapists. When we're not talking about people of color, we're not talking about rapists. Um, you know, I, because I, I think honestly, there's this huge belief, um, at least women, like w- when you sit here and start talking about um, this administration and the military. Um, it, it seems like there's this this view of you know the all male all white um, military 
that, mm-hmm. you know, that's their ideal soldier. That's the people that they're talking to. Um, mm-hmm. If you're trans in the military, if you're a woman in the military, if you're, you know, a person of color in the military, you don't exist as far as this administration right. is concerned. Um, right. And we have definitely seen their attempts to erase veterans who either original well <laughs> veterans as well as others um who <laughs> for you know dreamers who join the military they're more than happy to deport uh that group of people um <laughs> when we turn around and talk about um people who helped us in times of war and were offered asylum, you know, or as in we brought them here in exchange for their help, yeah. um, because we knew if we left them in the country that we were at war with, um, this wasn't going to go well. These were our interpreters. These were people giving us um, information. Um, and part of the deal was I'll tell you whatever you want to know or I'll help you get the information you need to fight this war. Get me out of this country. I can't stay here if I help you. And we did mm-hmm. that. And our government has, under this administration, in its efforts to eradicate immigrants, ex- well, mm-hmm. immigrants that are not white um, it has sat here and said, oh, yeah, that's unimportant. Um, you had a speeding ticket. <laughs> you, you know, had a court date. Um, <laughs> you know, thanks so much for helping us defeat, you know, your home country. Now that you're a social piranha there, we're going to send you back. No. You know, cash and prizes. Here you go. Um, And it's been a recurrent theme. You know, it just doesn't end. No. I think that's the same grounds on this one is, you know, this is meant as yet another um, way to continue attacking um, anyone who is not white, male, and cisgendered, um, and heterosexual. That's all this is. Um, That's the core of it. That's the whole point of it is it doesn't promote that all uh, all male, white, you know, cis male perspective. Right. Then they don't want it. Throw it away. You know, that's what this administration's done. Um, this is just continuation of it as far as I'm concerned. Um, and I'm sure in many ways they would love to be able to do the same thing um, to, you know, non-UN law uh, or non-UN government function. Like if they could erase rape for anyone who wasn't mm-hmm. a white woman, mm-hmm. um, they would. 
And even that, I'm sure they would love to make sure didn't apply to white men who mm-hmm. rape a woman. That, you know, it's a real big push under um, GOP politics um, mm-hmm. that as, as much as they keep trying to, to shroud it in traditionalism, it's really about if you're not a white male landholder, then you're property. And, you, mm-hmm. and as a white male, you can do with your property however you deem fit. Um, you know. And problem in general with this, and it's the same thing as now they lose their dang weapons. You know, because that's the type of thing that has always been used to scare people, to, you know, oh, they're going to rape your women, steal your land, shoot your cattle. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, yeah, it's a long-standing threat. Um, or, or it's a way of, not that it's a long-standing threat. It is a way of talking about war. It is a way of talking about the other um, quotes right. around that one, um, whoever the other may be at a time of war, um, it, it's classic strategy to um, sow discord um, mm-hmm. you know, through nationalism um, against the other. Right. Um, we saw that with, well, we, we've quite frankly seen it with every war. Um, exactly. At least as far back as World War One, I. I want to we say that was further the, back than that. Well, we've seen it further back than that. I'm talking about uh, the shift from you know a generalized cultural belief in mm-hmm. the other and blah 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 that was known and accepted and yada 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 to specific psychological attempts to discredit the other. Um, mm-hmm. Now, granted, we, we, we've seen that. It, if you want to go back a little bit further, you could almost say civil war. <clears throat> I think that was less intentional. Like the, the, I would put that one on shaky ground. Um, mm-hmm. With World War One, it was an actual um, science-based attempt to find the most damning language, the most um, um, anger-inducing language. Um, to right. to push nas- nationalism um, as hard as they could, um, mm-hmm. it, it's. I think from Civil War era, you saw a lot of the ideas borrowed, or or mm-hmm. more so, there was a, you know that kind of historical perspective that this was some of what. Um, pushed mm-hmm. um, you know, truths <clears throat> excuse me and 
a, kind of a, a further study of that, so that by the yeah. time you're you're coming forward um, mm-hmm. with that, it's no longer just you know kind of a little bit of a historical theory and perspective, and you know, it's now being applied. And right. how can we find the most obscene things to say about these the, this group of people? Um, right. And a lot of that is what has sown hatred for atheists. It's what's sown hatred um, for Germans, for um, uh, Japanese, well, basically mm-hmm. any person who can be put into the Asian category. Um, We've seen that as a very effective strategy. And it's propaganda. It's propaganda 101. Uh, Make your enemy Mm -hmm. look as bad as humanly possible. Um, But in doing so, in doing so, Mm -hmm. There was a forgotten element of this, is at the end of this, when this is over, how do we undo it? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, what's, what's our control Z to go back and go, okay, actually, you know, we we were wrong, you know, um, because that wasn't a consideration, that wasn't a care. Um, and ultimately that's where a lot of our racism in America comes from today. It's where a Mm -hmm. lot of our hatred of others, um, Mm -hmm. carries on through is this, this was sown within a generation during a Mm -hmm. war and it continues. Right. It doesn't. It doesn't get fact checked. It doesn't get tested. It doesn't get. It's accepted as science. Fact. It's accepted as fact. Um, no one ever steps back from it, and or not as many as should ever steps back from it and goes, "Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Wait a minute!" What, 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 what are we talking about here? Um, but, you know, and here we are. Yeah, and no one ever, and I do mean ever in history, has ever gotten to the point to where they go back and look at some of the stuff. And these tactics go back all the way to Genghis Khan. Mm-hmm. Creating the ideaism of, um, and it's in the act of war, the articles of war, that you can either do one or two things. You can either attack someone's security or attack mm-hmm. their freedom. Right. And if you well, attack their security, you've got to give them an enemy that makes them feel insecure. And if you attack mm-hmm. and to get their freedom, to get their freedom away from them, you have to make them feel free, even though they're not. And, you know, being upset because, you know, acts of war is seen as right. Hello, someone really needs to go and read Leviticus since they like quoting it so much. 
It clearly mm-hmm. talks in there about what is considered acts of war and spoils of war. Um, and I'm sorry, this has got um, pence all over it. It smells like it. It's that cheap, awful Avon cologne that Mother keeps bother- buying for him because, you know, that's all she knows how to do is, you know, to appease his craziness. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Well, and, yeah. and if you're going to go back as far as the art of war, I will say I think that in many ways it hinted at the ideas mm-hmm. that that very much carried forward. Um, what, what I'm saying is, is there comes a twist in uh, during the 1900s um, in psycho- uh, psychology and psychological warfare um, mm-hmm. and a realer and uh, in, in a much deeper understanding um, mm-hmm. of how you can use language, how you can use image, how you can use a lot of various things um, to really manipulate the psyche against a group of people. While the art of war Mm -hmm. does kind of go there, it's not as formulaic at that Mm -hmm. point, at that stage. By the 1900s, we had started to really dig in and identify, okay, how do you take a group of people and make them absolutely hate this other group of people, Mm -hmm. even if there's a fair amount of similarity, even if there's a fair amount and while we always knew that gossip, or, or what would otherwise be considered gossip, um, because it's effectively what propaganda is, mm-hmm. um, is you know gossiping about a group, but doing so in a way that is very targeted to create maximum impact. You get the most bang mm-hmm. for your buck humanly possible. Um, right. With that. Like if you're looking at it from a, from an art of war perspective, it was kind of throw spaghetti at a wall, see what sticks. Um, at this point, however, and since um, we have had one of the most powerful, um, and not just we, but the world in general, um, any any historian. Um, has had some of the most powerful psychological warfare tools available to them. Like, we figured it out. Um, you know, and as a world culture, we figured this out. We know how to do this now. Um, mm-hmm. But what we haven't figured out how to do, what we have not done, um, and what no one's ever interested in, is how do we fix it? How do we put it back? Um, And with that, um, especially when you're talking about war and you're talking about making another group of people subhuman um, so that your soldiers can kill them without 
being overly concerned about the loss of a human life. It's just a subhuman. That's okay. Um, You know, you can get over that. That's the enemy. That's what you're supposed to do, blah, blah, blah. Um, With that, we've not come up with a good way to go, oh, war's over. Game over. We won or we lost, whatever. Um, You know, now we can go back to, you know, treating people like people and not subhuman Mm -hmm. groups. Um, And that's where a lot of this comes in, is when you're talking about a group of subhumans and Mm -hmm. you're talking about acts during war, um, one of the oldest is rape. Um, Again, once you create that subhuman image, there's no... You've abandoned or you have forced someone out of the morality that would let them say this action is wrong. This is another human. This this is a person deserving of respect. And you get people that anyone from their in-group, they would never take these actions against. They would never treat this way. But you put them in the situation where you suspend morality around this group of people, you've already given them license to kill them. Um, mm-hmm. Rape, torture, murder, or, you know. Any of the to go along with it. Right. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying. And by the way, you know, that is one book that should be required reading for juniors in high school. Uh, I don't know. Do you really want to give the angsty a manual for starting a war? Yes. I mean, <laughs> like it's really not a good plan. <laughs> like, wait, wait till you calm down in your twenties. You know, you know, get them, get them while they're, you know, they're all emotional because then they will remember it. And then they can follow within the lines of what has been going on for centuries because them can then can understand because they're over there and that's their emotional issues. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it well, teaches language. Are... It, you know, yeah. and it, you know, if it, it teaches, you know, how to, you know, it's, it's a book that's not okay. This is where you move your troops to. This is how you move your troops to it. For those that haven't read mm-hmm. it, it's a book that shows you the mental side of war. The mm-hmm. you know how to win a war without even you know using an arrow. Right. But if everyone's working off the same playbook. Yeah, at least um, then they have a clue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There is that. There is that. But no, I I don't know. I, I think it's an important book. I think everyone should read it. I do think, well, I, I've known a, a few different ways that it has been at least brought up in schools, not necessarily taught. Um. Mm-hmm. 
you know, uh, I don't know. I, it's well, it's like I think already emotionally. Say... <laughs> I mean, but it's already such an emotionally charged period for people. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I, I really don't want to elevate uh, or the the worst case scenario I see happening is okay. you end up taking bullying to the next level in which it's not uh, just bullying, which, I mean, I, I don't mean to minimize bullying, I guess, is what I'm almost doing in this moment. I'm not. Um, hang in there with me. Take bullying, which is bad enough, and then elevate it to it's not just, or well, again, there I go with just, it's not, air quotes, just the kids who can't take it anymore or the bully that magically hits the right combo of buttons, causing kids to um, turn to suicide as an escape, but <laughs> literally following that to the point in which you become far more efficient at driving people to that point. Mm-hmm. That would be my Or they become thing. far more efficient in manipulating as the bullier to surrendering as respondents. Mm. You know, it's like how, well, there, it's like, that would I be think that, like, yeah, it's like 14-year-olds should read the diary of Anne Frank. Mm-hmm. All of it. Right. You know, not the censored version either. Not the bansy pansy. Oh, this will hurt their little feelings version. The real translated diary of Anne Frank. I think we would have a lot less bullying in the schools if they not taught in class. It is just expected you read this. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it would be a little bit different. I think when we stopped giving literature to students that was controversial, that was not all fluffy rainbows and Harry Potter wands, and gave them real literature, right, and, you know, expected them to read it, expected them to know what was in it, is when we started seeing more problems. I don't necessarily know that. Just Harry Potter alone. I will say, like, I I would call that out as a bad example just because um, much of, uh, especially that author's work, um, she has worked really hard to create a, while it is a fantasy, alternate reality, has put in a lot of elements that you can extrapolate into, quote-unquote, the real world and what one would go through in, you know, school, go through in life, um, and put it in a different context um, where it's way clearer that what this person is doing is right, what this person is doing is wrong. Um, mm-hmm. 
to it, it does in many ways have a moral lesson component. It in many ways also encourages kids who are being bullied and abused and mistreated to come forward and mm-hmm. stick up for themselves and come out of that, you know, shame closet that they've been shoved into or the shame locker that they've been shoved mm-hmm. into and call people out on the crap they're doing. Now, does that mean that our mm-hmm. school systems are ready for this? No, it doesn't. Does this mean that we have decades of institutional highs, um, poor choices in handling, you know, problems? Oh, we most definitely do. Um, you know, some school systems have better than others, not by a long, not, not massive worlds of difference. Um, some school systems do better. Um, I think some school systems just get lucky. Um, you know, like we don't have a problem because thankfully it didn't show up here. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. we've never had a school shooting. We've been really lucky. Yes, we have too. Like it's, it's, you know what I mean? As in, it's not by any effort that they have made. Mm-hmm. Now it's shut up their school. Like, that's it. That's the whole, like, key to their success but is, I, well, no one did that yet. But that's here's it. the thing with that. That's all they got. And, hmm? Well, here's the thing with that. When I was in school, there were guns. In, well, not in school, in the parking lot of the school. Okay? Mm-hmm. We were raised in a cultural... I mean, heck, we have a week off so that we can go deer hunting. Mm-hmm. Literally, that's the reason that West Virginia has a week off in November. It is around deer season. Thanksgiving is cute, but mm-hmm. it's really nothing to do with Thanksgiving. Same thing with Christmas. Well, yeah. You know, it's for hunting. We are we mm-hmm. are blessed culture that is not afraid of a damn gun. It's part of everyday life. And I think if you look at the transversity of where the school shootings are versus the gun culture, when guns are seen as a tool, guns are seen as a means of protection, guns are seen as a means of feeding your family versus cultures where it's like guns are evil, guns are bad, guns give bad people power. You see a different mentality with them. And I have to disagree with that because I'm I'm from the southern part of the state. I went to a high school that before I went through and I graduated in 2000, a few years before, we had a school shooting. Um, was it thankfully not the completely, like, oh, my God, of, say, Columbine? Yes, it wasn't that bad that any school shooting is good, but it wasn't that level. Um, but I, I don't think just because you have a gun culture, which is what you're talking about. I'm sorry. It is what you're talking about. Um, Yes. 
And that doesn't necessarily on its face have to be bad. Um, but just having a gun culture doesn't offer insulation. Um, mm-hmm. I, I will forever say that you remove the guns, or more importantly, you prevent access. Because realistically, let's talk about the problem. And the problem is irresponsible gun ownership. You know, this theory that if you have a no kits and you have a large collection of guns, you are immune from needing to safely store and prevent their operation. That's delusional thinking. I'm sorry mm-hmm. as and from the whole reason we have door locks is because people will break in. Door locks just keep mostly honest people a little more honest. It doesn't stop someone who's determined and knows that you have a house full of guns that are, you know, easy to access. They're not in a gun safe. There's, you know, tons of ammo. It one one stop shopping there. Um, and it does nothing for, you know, what would otherwise be a legal purchase that is unfortunately not a purchase that should be occurring. That, quite frankly, no one needs that kind of firepower. You will never convince me that... We need civilian access um, and or weapons that are easily modified to be um, fully automatic or so close to that it's barely indistinguishable. You will never convince me those are weapons that need to be readily available. They don't. They don't. What do you do with that? If you can't hit a deer in a hundred rounds, go home for that week. Just go home. Do not go into the woods. Stay at home. Those are guns specifically built to kill people. That is the combat situation is the only reason you need to be able to fire that many rounds in that short a span. That's it. Um, I can understand owning a weapon. I can understand going to the range. I can even understand wanting to, you know, in a range situation, have that experience opposed to any of those. The point where you can, as a lawful citizen, own large quantities of both those weapons and ammunition for them inside your home, you're stockpiling for a tragedy. That's it. That's all you're doing. Like, you can sit there and call it protecting yourself. You can call it all kinds of things. Um, I, 
you're not. You're stockpiling for a tragedy. Now, whether you actually intend to commit it, someone breaks into your house, the grandkid comes over and finds the safe unlocked, whatever, or you think you're teaching your children or your grandchildren responsible gun ownership, you're not. You're just stockpiling a tragedy. It is a ticking time bomb. There's nothing else I could ever call that. I understand your viewpoint. However, Mm -hmm. we keep doing the same thing and we keep creating the same problem. Okay. Okay. Instead of educating and you know, teaching respect and use of and how to of of drugs. We have a war on drugs. Drugs are bad. Drugs are terrible. And we have a larger drug problem. We keep, you know, we stop teaching gun awareness, gun respect, respect of the tool. And we keep having these shootings because, one, we have weapons that are way too big for what's needed, that are used for war, but we also have people that see guns as power because they don't know that, oh, well, heck, all you got to do is flip it down, take the bullet out. There's nothing there. It's not the gun. It's the person. And we keep doing this, oh, let's restrict this. Let's revolvigate this. Let's make this even more illegal. So, therefore, teenagers want to push their limits, do this, do crap like that. But when it's Every day, societal, yeah, you know, dad has a gun. It sits in the bedroom. Big wahoo. Yeah, I can put it together. I can take it apart. I can put the bullets in it. Yeah, it sounds really big and powerful, but it really ain't because it's no big thing. It's like alcohol. 16, 17, 18-year-olds, they love to drink. You don't think they're drinking? They're drinking, promise you. Around 30, it's kind of like, yeah, there's wine in the fridge. Woohoo. Same thing with everything else we keep trying to push and, you know, hide away and, oh, give them all participation trophies. No, you're not protecting them by not educating them. Well, I I can sit here and say that, no, you're not protecting them by not educating them. You're also not protecting them just because you educate them. uh, That's one of the arguments that has been made in the debate that I still don't get. I, I, I cannot get behind it. I cannot even understand why someone thinks that's just going to magically fix it. Um, because it's touted right there with, well, we need better mental health and um, more education. Which we do. And then usually right there, number three is, and we need God back in the classroom. You no, know, we don't work. need God back in the classroom. He doesn't belong there. Uh, well, but but regardless, regardless, the the those to me are straw man arguments that try to displace the fact that these guns are available, these guns are common, far more common than they should be, 
Um, mm-hmm. And that what you're literally talking about is trying to take a teenager, or, or more importantly, start as a child, and make them familiar with guns. And not that these are things I inherently disagree with. I, I'm cool with the education. I'm cool with supporting your child's hobby or passion or the thing they get into. That's not where my problem is. My problem is if (laughs) you expect any amount of education to stop stupidity, which is what we're ultimately talking about, for lack of any better term, teenagers are stupid. All of them. Every single one of them. We were stupid as teenagers. The next generation will be stupid as teenagers. Until someone figures out how to make teenagers not stupid, this is going to happen. Regardless of how much education, you can start them in a crib you are never going to educate that problem away. Now, does that necessarily mean we stop all education and we take away all the guns and we prevent anyone from owning it? No. We deal with problem weapons. Item one. And we also take an eye towards, you know, suspicion, I guess. If you're if you look like you're engaging in a situation where you're stockpiling, those two things, those two things would dramatically decrease the amount or or at least the damage associated with school shooting. Because even if you step back into the history of school shootings, there, there's a lovely graph. I don't know that I'll ever find it. Um, it shouldn't be that hard. Someone did a comparison going backwards through all the available records for any school shooting ever, anywhere. And it was nearly a non-event. And then right about the time, there was massive firepower. Not only did it become more common, it also had far worse consequence. And ultimately, I don't think you're ever going to stop school shootings. Again, as long as there are guns, there will always be a moment of stupid because you're talking about teenagers. What we can do and what we should be focused on is just like seatbelts in cars, just like airbags in cars, just like all those labels you hate on ladders, is how do we make this a less harmful situation? You're not going to stop car accidents with a seatbelt and an airbag. That's not what that's about. Those are protection measures meant to reduce the harm of an accident, that you're not going to be ejected from the vehicle 
and you're not going to go head first with your skull against a hard plastic or metal or plastic and metal object. You're just going to get That's what those are about. Can happen. Ultimately, however. Ultimately, however, there has been a dramatic decrease in lethal, i.e. deadly, um, injuries sustained in, in motor vehicle accidents. Does that always help everyone in every situation? No. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying the accidents it's designed for, um, which are the most common types of accidents, it does reduce injury or moves it to the category of injury, not fatality. And that's where we need to look in terms of gun control. Point of we're not going to stop school shootings. School shootings are going to happen. It, they're going to happen. Um, we have guns in the United States. We have a Second Amendment. We're not going to take them all away. That's not, that should not be the point. But what we need to do and what we have to do and what we're ultimately going to have to wrap ourselves around is how do we go from 50 dead children to not 50 dead children to, you know, reducing the number of dead and reducing the harm, ultimately, of a school shooting. And that's not just about guns. There are other measures. There are many lovely measures for securing classrooms. There are many lovely measures um, that can be taken. Mental health is a component of it. I'm not arguing against it. Um, Trying to identify kids who are being bullied and harassed. All of that comes to play a part. You're not going to stop all school shootings with it, but it is a multi-pronged approach. Your daddy grew up, you grew up in a home of construction. Mm-hmm. I also grew mm-hmm. up in a home with guns. Yeah. But now, let's talk about construction. It's easier. How likely are you as a 14-year-old to go hop out onto an end loader and drive it through your skull? More likely than you would have thought. Um, actually, for a couple of reasons. <laughs> um, one, more likely to know how to drive one. Two, the construction company that he worked for was right across the street from the school. And three, I knew where the keys were. Uh, uh-huh. You know, um, if you're trying to make the argument that because I grew up around construction, it has no interest to me, I would actually stop and argue the opposite. 
that... No, I'm not making the argument that it has no interest to okay. you. Okay. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. Not making that argument at all. What I'm making that mm-hmm. argument to is that you knew how to do it. You knew how to get in there. You knew how to start it up. You knew how to shift gears. Which pedal done what? Mm-hmm. But you also knew the power it had. But I, I'm here's where I have trouble with your argument. Mm-hmm. Talking to 36-year-old me, yes. Um, before the point I was a teenager, during the point I'm a teenager, and, and now, up to now, um, yes, I understand all those concepts, mm-hmm. um, but your argument is hinged on a, a thought process that I think gets lost in translation, um, which is that this is a calm, rational decision-making process, that this is opening the pantry of skills and abilities and things you have access to and the knowledge you have mm-hmm. and going, well, you know, this situation's bad, but it's not really murder bad. It's more like maim bad, or it's more like, you know, permanent injury bad, or, you know, looking through that pantry, like you're trying to figure out, well, you know, I've got pasta sauce, but I'm not really wanting pasta. You know, no. You're talking about an event that occurs from a highly emotional place. What we know, Mm -hmm. whether you're a teenager or not, at any stage of life, in a highly emotionally charged situation, um, you're not always thinking about the consequences. And it's why we have laws around a crime of passion. That if you come home and you think your wife's being raped and you shoot the SOB, the law will consider that way differently than if you, you know, are sitting in your home, you go downstairs, you load up a bag with guns and ammo, you drive across town, you knock on someone's door, put a gun in their face, and pull the trigger. Those are two vastly separate crimes. Um, In many cases, um, and what makes kind of the teenage brain a little different, um, is you're talking about a brain that is not fully developed yet. And won't be for a few years after being a teen. And even then, um, you know, not everyone ever gets there. Um, But in in teenage mindset, you have problems. It is a known deficit of teenagers. You have problems understanding the temporariness of a situation and a belief that things are going to last forever both the good and the bad. 
Um, you also have problems understanding magnitudes of importance. Um, so, for instance, that, you know, captain of the football team dropped the F-bomb on you, and I don't mean the fornicating one, um, in front of gym class, and, you know, either outed you or at least, you know, put you in the category um, of gay, there's, within a teenage brain, not an understanding that maybe that's not as important as you think. It seems life-altering, soul-crushing. It's part of the super-hormonal, um, portal, you know, not fully developed um, reasoning logic, long-term planning, and, and bigger-picture understanding that accompanies being a teenager. Um, within that, the argument that you're making assumes that these are people thinking like adults? No, I just had a simple question. Okay, well, I mean, that's my problem with that argument, is it assumes Mm -hmm. that someone is thinking like a a, a calm, rational adult, when really you're talking about a group of people. Pardon? I was talking about a teenager. Okay. Well, and I think the uh, biggest statement to make there, (laughs) most teenagers are running around, the largest majority are running around, like a person caught in that crime of passion state. Mm-hmm. Teenagers are passionate about everything. Um, whether you want to call it angsty or depressed or whatever they are, mm-hmm. there's not a lot of modulation there. You, those years are extreme. You're either having the best time of your life or the worst time of your life. Everything's great or everything's crap. There's no understanding even, um, let alone room for, like, well, you know, I'm doing good, um, the dog's sick, you know, but my business is doing great, you know, there's... It's all instantaneous, what's happening at that moment. Um, and that colors entire worldview. Mm-hmm. But also, back to the original discussion mm-hmm. and question. Mm-hmm. So when you finally lost your temper mm-hmm. and blew up with on the boy, Mm-hmm. Why did you not just take the inloader across the street and run over the building? You had access to it. You knew where the keys were, everything else. Well, at that point, I was on the other side of town because that was middle school, not high school. 
Um, mm-hmm. So sorry if I missed that that qualification on it, that it, we were talking about middle school versus high school. I thought we were talking more high school, but okay, gotcha there. Um, and ultimately, to, to answer your question a little differently, um, I fortunately didn't find myself in a situation um, that carried that much weight to it. Um, as in, I, I didn't find myself in a situation with that level of anger, devastation, loss, however you want to put it, that, that would, that would justify in my head or, or rose to the level at which I would commit an, an extremer act than to punch someone. Um, now, full disclosure on that would be that from middle school on, at least until college, um, my father was not prepared to deal with a teenager or the, the emotional range of a teenager. Um, so the first time I even hinted at having an emotional range, um, fully taken to the doctor's office and thrown on Prozac. Mm-hmm. Um, so I spent most of those years pretty well numb. Um, so on one hand, it doesn't mean that I had no emotional range in that. Um, but it also came with trying to have that emotional range was exhausting. So it's like, yeah, I can get upset about stuff, but then I need a nap. That that was basically my experience with um, those meds is that anytime you had that kind of storm cloudy range coming out, um, you just got really tired. And at that point, it's like, you know, I'm going to go take a nap. Like, I'm ticked off, and now I need a nap. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, that kind of colors my experience a lot. Um, mm-hmm. But then there's also the revisionist, you know, kind of theory. We all try to look back at our past, mm-hmm. and we all try, um, or we're all effectively, it's not that we're trying, we're, we just are, um, we're processing, say, what you were talking about currently, which is a 22-year-old memory, thereabouts. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm processing that with who I am today. I'm processing mm-hmm. my thoughts about the situation. I'm processing the situation. I'm processing the person. Um, with uh, I'm taking that 22 year old event, and the brain that I'm thinking about it with now is well different than the one that I had then. 
Um, mm-hmm. it, it, I can sit here and in many ways um, probably find myself horrified and or surprised if I were to, for instance, have sat in front of a video camera and just poured out my heart and soul at that moment of, you know, what happened and what I thought and what I thought of him and what I thought of, you know, blah, blah, blah. If I were to look at that videotape now, um, I'm sure I'd be horrified Mm -hmm. that, you know, especially one uh, in, in the context of, oh, dear God, um, you know, you're overreacting, calm down, you know, on one hand. On the other hand, then there's all the things I know after that event occurred, all the other mm-hmm. things I did after that event occurred, mm-hmm. up to and including um, the knowledge that, oh, by the way, um that guy ended up overdosing. Not sure if it was an intentional or unintentional overdose, but somewhere in his 30s, he's going to be dead. You know, that kind of thing, you know, it it goes with the old saying, if I knew then what I know now, um, never going to happen, you know, that would have taken a lot of, like, you know, really deep thought to have figured out that was going to occur, um, to to get to some happy oh, really. emotional place with the fact I'm being abused. But anyway, because um, the guy was, was a piece of work. Um, mm-hmm. But within that, um, I can sit here and talk about the situation now, Um and I'm sure that what I can say about it now wouldn't necessarily be untruthful any more than what I would have said about it then would be untruthful, but it's going to be colored in the experiences, in the growth as an individual, in the understanding of how the world works, in terms of a calmer mind in terms of blah, 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 Um, Mm -hmm. you know, and the lack of, you know, psychoactive medication. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make it any less true, but it would in many ways probably sound a lot different now than it would have then. So within that, and, and that's where we get a lot of this. Well, back back when I was a kid, we didn't do such things. Back when I was a kid, you know, it's not that those things are entirely true or untrue. There's always this, and especially with parents, this revisionism that occurs in which you overlook some details. You don't want to tell your kids about that time you got really drunk and drove home 
you don't want to tell your kids, you know, because you're trying Remind to provide a good later. Hmm? Remind me of those later, because I'll never remember what not to tell them. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. Sorry, I'm just one of those. Yeah, you know, I'm not the, well, the real originalist type. I'm a little bit more of a realist type that says, yeah, I've done this and I've done that, and yeah, that was kind of stupid. And oh, by the way, if you're going to do this, don't mix your liquor with your beer, and don't mix your beer with your clear liquor and your dark liquor because you will throw up the next day. By the way, we're having just yeah. some gravy in the morning because I know you're coming home from prom high and drunk, and you'll be hungry. Yeah. Um. But, but there's a tendency to to skew our experiences and our behaviors and our choices, and especially over time, into a more positive light. As humans, we don't like admitting when we're wrong, and we certainly don't like doing it to people that we respect or whose approval we want or, you know, in those cases where we have become a godlike being to another, um, which is what mm-hmm. parenting is. You're a godlike being to another, at least for a few years. No, you're just bigger. Um, then they figure out, no, you're not, and then they quit listening. And usually about that time they, you know, start drinking and having sex and, you know. But anyway, you know, going off to boarding school, yeah. right around then is when they have yeah. figured out, oh, you're not a god at all. Um, <laughs> but we but, do have a tendency you know, as being to be very. Point, pardon? Yeah, my common point through all of this, in general, mm-hmm. is that we mm-hmm. keep bubble wrapping children. And apparently people who can't read, that must read labels, and there's a few of them probably listening to us in the shower now while they wash and rinse and repeat, while making sure not to eat the shampoo. Well, you know. Who would eat shampoo? It's important. Um, oh, well, I know. It's like the stupid labels on freaking ladders. and Now you can't even buy a ladder that is silver. It is covered in stickers worse than a high school girl's binder in high school. But the difference I see majorly between then and now is practicality and use, commonality and use, education and use, and respect of. You know, nowadays we got children calling their parents by their first names and acting like they're best friends. No, they're not best friends. They're children. They either should be treated as children or told to get a job. One of the two. Mm. On that one, I I think with every generation, we're going to see a different approach to rearing children. No one has their act together. There's always a popular author who doesn't know what the hell they're doing. Because I don't necessarily think there's any one right, one size fits all approach to children. Um, Mm -hmm. That said, do I think in some ways there are things that they need to be taught uh, to be a functional adult. 
Like that, mm-hmm. that's pretty much your childhood is preparation to be a functional adult. Um, do I think there's multiple ways to do that? Do I think there's a lot of ways that won't work for, you know, this child, but would work perfectly with that child? Yeah. Um, yeah. And even if, even if, um, we were to sit here and go, oh, well, that's obviously wrong, um, to what degree? Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there's kids, and I've met them that that they had parents who, if you want to go by textbook ideologies, if you want to go by what feels right, these parents did everything they could have possibly done to be good parents. Some kids just aren't good. I'm not trying to make that bad seed argument. It's not really that. Like, I wish someone hadn't inappropriately used that many years ago so that I could explain this right now and not have that connotation of, you know, beat the devil out of them. But Mm -hmm. I think there are some kids that that, that there wasn't going to be a perfect parenting experience. There, there wasn't going to be an aha moment that you were going to raise that child to be a good, decent human being. I just think there are some people, I don't want to say they're born evil, but it's, there's a limit. You know, the, the mm-hmm. whole nature versus nurture argument, that there's a limit. Mm-hmm. To mm-hmm. what you can actually successfully do raising a child to get them from birth to responsible adulthood, there's a limit. Mm-hmm. Um, there's for the I, I think it's going to fall into the eighty twenty uh, Pareto's rule for everything. Um, is that there's this twenty percent population that just aren't. They're not going to grow up to be decent children no matter what you do. And then there's the 80% that are going to grow up to be decent human beings regardless of what you do. Um, You know, because I can, and again, maybe this is revisionism, I can sit back and look at all the ways my dad screwed up and – I'm sure I could sit here and have a drug problem I could blame on him, and I could have all these other problems I could just blame on him. And Mm -hmm. in some ways, you know, not just saying, well, the medical community would understand, but people in general would understand. You know, Mm -hmm. like, well, that's because he wasn't raised properly. That's because he had a bad father. That was because he blah, blah, blah. You could sit there and make that argument. The reality is, I think there it breaks down to an 80-20, is that you have some kids, no matter what you do, no matter what you do, you're not going to get through to them. You're not going to help them get there. That, that mm-hmm. They're just, they're going to be a, some level of not a decent human being. Right. Is and that necessarily the military school? school? Well, pardon uh, 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 
one second, is that it does that necessarily mean 20% of kids are going to go home, go out and blow up the school? No. What I mean is you're going to have people that cheat on their wives. You're going to have people that cheat on their taxes. You're going to have people that are just not nice people that don't care about doing the right thing, who don't care about, you know, any of this. Um, you know, the, the ideals that we've created that, that like, this is how you're a decent human being. Doesn't matter to them. A very small subset will go on to blow up your school. Um, mm-hmm. And then you have the 80% you could have put with the worst parents in the world. And they're still going to turn out fine. Mm-hmm. You know, it, they just are. You know, as I've kind of said from it is in some ways with dad, I learned what not to do. You know what I mean? Like you sit there, you look at the behavior and you're just like, uh, that's crap. Mm -hmm. Like I'm 10 and I think that's crap. Mm -hmm. Turns out part of the decent human being ideal. Um, now, was that, like, an intentional thing? No, it wasn't. Um, I got lucky. You know, again, like, or if you want to look at it this way, you know, dad got lucky on it, or mom got lucky on it, or the world got lucky on it, that no matter what he was going to do, or how bad he was going to screw up, I was going to turn out okay. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, wasn't going to be a big deal. Um, And then there are those that that just have parents who do everything right or or everything you can imagine, like trying to get through to a kid and, and like, Mm -hmm. fix it before your adulthood. Like, like, please put, get, get the pieces, get it together, please. And for some, it just doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Um, it's right. not going in. It's not going to get there. And so tying it all back together, um, you know, because we're kind of down the rabbit hole, um, but tying it back together is that if we're going to sit here and say that education and respect teaching respect is all that we need to fix this problem. I don't argue against education. I, I think all education is great. And removing the mystery. Well, even at that, I it's not that I think that, well, you're just going to teach some kids how to shoot up a school. It's not even that. It's, I don't think that's going to fix the problem. The problem ultimately falls to availability. The ex- mm-hmm. that if you have those weapons available, there is like going you to had be an unloader. a percentage of kids. Pardon? Like you had an inloader available. Children every day mm-hmm. have cars available. We don't see them being mm-hmm. driven in schools. Mhm. No. I pause. I'm going with the argument of and what I was trying to say earlier 
with my what else are these weapons designed for? We're all taking risks. And yes, it does mean that if, if those guns aren't available, then that kid may use an inloader or a car or a hunting knife or whatever to, to do their horrible thing. There is a concept of functional need versus risk. What I'm trying to understand and what I always have a problem with this argument is we're arguing for education, we're arguing for mental health, we're arguing for all these things, and then we're not considering what is the functional need for these weapons? Like, what are you doing? Like, you're going hunting and you need a hundred rounds to hit a deer? I mean, the, to the level to, to the level that we're producing these guns and selling these guns, that these guns have become more common than I can imagine them being. For what? We have cars to get to and from where we need to go. Yes, people use them to run people over. Yes, uh, you know, accidents happen. So does premeditated murder. Um, you know, we have electricity to our homes. You can jerk that cable off the line and press it against someone's body and kill them. Functional need. Functional needs. We we have valid functional needs, and we have a risk attached to it. That we have electricity to our homes to improve our lives, light our world, make our lives easier. Electricity does many wonderful things. It can Mm -hmm. also pose a tremendous risk. Um, Mm -hmm. But we see the functional need. What I don't see in this argument, what I've never been able to to get someone to answer, is what Mm -hmm. in the world is that functional need just – if someone can answer that and explain that to me to where I can wrap my obviously defective brain around it, because I'm not getting that. Yeah, well, that's functional need. I, I don't get it. Pardon? That functional need echoes in the current administration, that functional need echoes in Somalia and Sudan, that functional need echoes in Kuwait and everywhere else there's been this revolution okay. and over-armed policemen, over-armed military, that's where that functional need kicks in. Mm-hmm. I I think that that's a nice selling point. Really? I'm sorry, I do. While, while, pause, while, you can take a country with a very limited arsenal in which you're matching firepower with firepower, You you can have a revolution. You can protect yourself against tyranny. 
I don't care how good you are with that gun. I don't think you're taking down a determined United States uh, military, no matter how many you have. That that argument for at least for the U.S. Um, as well as a lot of the 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 world now. Um, it's not going to work. You're not going to protect yourself against tyranny. Nuclear bomb. I don't care how many rounds you got. You're not going through a tank. The tank, however, will go through you. I, I think that's security theater. That That is, or let's call it, you know, tyranny theater. That you're you're mm-hmm. you're going to protect yourselves from tyrants? No, you're not. No, you're not. You know you're not. You know that that's not going to work. That's not how that works. It, it doesn't work. That's not. <laughs> that is not going to stop with our current military. A tyrannical government, you know, if you want to call our government that, it, 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 to justify the uh, uh, tyrannical, you know, tyrant argument, um, our, our tyrannical government will not be stopped with your gun. They're going to run your ass over. They're going to drop a bomb from the sky <laughs> their firepower way outmatches you. So you're not going to stop that. Like, so the argument would be is that we need to all be able to purchase nuclear warheads, tanks, hand grenades, live hand grenades, and be able to keep them at home for our home defense. That's been my argument all along. I think it would be much safer on the roads if Americans drove tanks. Do we really want to get into the argument about how much fear and concern I have for the health and safety of others when you back up my Kia Soul? Let alone, can I think about you trying to take a tank to Kroger? I'd get there much faster. It automatically has seat belts and airbags. I don't see a problem with it. God. No. No. We can, as a general populace, agree that having, you know, John Q. Public with a nuclear warhead or John Q. Public with a um grenade is or a tank um is not reasonable um, really why can we not agree on this one and it's tyranny theater it it's that one little thing that that we sit here and try to claim that it's going to protect us against tyranny no it's not you're you're outgunned 
And as a general populace, we've already accepted that matching, you know, firepower for firepower is a very dangerous proposition that, you know, quite frankly, of those not-so-decent people that don't blow up their schools, um, you end up living next to them as neighbors. They run your HOA. They, they're they find many ways to be dicks in your lives. You really think um, that those people having, you know, in addition to their home arsenal, a nuclear warhead, a hand grenade, and a tank would be an improvement to your situation. Um, mm-hmm. That that's the, That's effectively the argument you have to make is that if you accept that those are weapons that should be available to protect ourselves against tyranny, then we got to jump way ahead with that and go, well, if we can have those, then, you know, um, we need a, you know, box of hand grenades, couple of nuclear warheads, cruise missile, you know, uh, go take a test. I can park an F-16 in the backyard. I mean, let's commute time. I'm watching this plan, and I know our listeners in at least ten countries will agree with us. Yemen, okay. Afghanistan, North Korea, South Korea, Saudi Arabia, Israel, Iran, Syria. Nigeria, southern Sudan, all of them have been in civil war for at least four years now. Cameroon just began probably less than less than two hundred you know, less than two hundred days. Ukraine. Which by the way I really like the new Ukrainian president, he's nice. Uh Venezuela Venezuela. All those countries. Well, but I still think there is one thing they would have liked far more than that idea. Mm-hmm. For rational adults to have sat down at a table and worked out a rational solution to their problems and never needed a war. Because war always has a cost, and it is always paid by the general populace, and it is paid in blood and loss and devastation. Mm-hmm. It does. And anyone but who has ever been through countries. Mm-hmm. Are taking on governments. They're not fighting mm-hmm. foreign people. They're taking on tyrannical governments. And the first step to tyrannical government was taking weapons away, was to isolating and enslaving populations to their governmental religious regimes. Okay. But would you not accept the argument that effectively – We've already had our weapons taken away. 
Like, we, we can sit here and argue about, you know, the Second Amendment and the right to bear arms, and it still ain't going to let you go over to your local gun dealer and buy a tank. You're not buying an F-16 at Target. You're not picking up hand grenades at the Comac. You're, you're not doing You can't do that. Like, there is Actually, a Walmart. very limited. Pardon? Yes, Walmart.com does sell a tank. They only have two left. <laughs> it's in Tawenia 56033116 JPS Type 10 tank, full optional kit. Not a bad price either. As a matter of fact, I could even add service to it for up to four years. Well, fine. But what is it going to match? Like, how out, like, seriously, how out guns would you end up in? That's the reality of the, of the proposition I'm making. There are decommissioned tanks that are available to collectors. There are collectors that own tanks. They are, however, basically neutered. They don't operate in in terms of firepower. Um, at, At best... They are, you know, mobile protection. But even at that, these are very old tanks. Um, You have to be a law enforcement entity to be able to even think about, quote-unquote, owning a tank. Um, National Guard, Sheriff's Department, something. Um and that's actually been one of the largest outcries um, that communities have had um, with the surplus government equipment program. Um, what are the number of small local governments with massive budgets for no apparent reason, <coughs> civil asset forfeiture, <coughs> that – started buying up this equipment simply because they could and started using it against the citizens. And it has brought a ton of scrutiny to the whole concept that you would ever let a county sheriff's department have a tank. Actually, you just need a permit to have operational guns in the United States. My understanding is that is a very seldomly granted permit. Very closely monitored. Because of the sheer fact you could start at least a small war. Mm -hmm. But that's fine. And what I'm arguing for is that kind of scrutiny towards guns that have the same 
power, same force, ending up in suburbia accessible to teenagers. That if we can slow that number down tremendously, that's my argument. Mm-hmm. But with that said, I'm not sure if we need to pay a power bill or if we run out of time. We can pay a power bill and then we'll be back. Okay. Do you like a little more grrr with your coffee? Then tune in to Mountain Bears here on Blog Talk on Friday nights at 9 p.m. for the latest in LGBT topics, current events, and technology. Every Friday night, we'll be here. Join us as the Mountain Bears explore these topics and more. So I'm a cat, and I just moved in with this new human, and she's got this little toy she's always playing with all day long. Tap, 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 bloop, bloop. She can't put it down. There it is. Oh, and get this. She even talks to it. Last week, she asked it for Chinese. And guess what? Egg rolls showed up like magic. Humans have cool toys. A person is the best thing to happen to a shelter pet. Be that person. Adopt. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the shelterpetproject.org. Hi. Welcome. Relax. Have a cup of your favorite topics. With your host, Aston Knight, there's nothing like a good conversation to warm your soul and give your spirit a break now and then. Aston has such a wonderful way of exploring topics like psychic phenomena, important topics in our daily lives from a psychic's point of view, and you never know who else will stop by, live on Blog Talk Radio. So come on in. We made a fresh cup of java just for you. Hi, I'm Rain. And this is Raven Wind, and we're the Feather and Bone Podcast, two witches talking about everything witchy and nothing at all. We consider ourselves to be energy-based spiritualists, non-traditionalists, and decidedly not Wiccan. Our views on magic and life in general don't align with other pagans in the community, but we have a live-and-let-live outlook on life. So if you want to learn something new while laughing a whole lot, you can find links to our podcast, Facebook page, products, and purchase tarot readings at featherandbone.net. As a busy modern woman, I'm constantly on the go. Having to make multiple stops while I'm out shopping or getting things done just doesn't work for me. That's why I love going to the Crystal Lotus Shop for every one of my metaphysical needs. They have all the basics like stones, candles, sage, Plus, they carry jewelry, herbs, cards, a variety of unique gifts, and several other items you're probably looking for. Uh-oh, sounds like my husband's old college injury flared up again. That's okay. I can count on the team of healers at the Crystal Lotus to fix him right up. They offer massage, Reiki, Kalamni, as well as other energy modalities, all performed by licensed, highly trained, and gifted practitioners. And while he's being taken care of, 
I'll sit down and get some guidance by one of their accomplished psychic readers. Oh, and did I mention they do custom orders and have gift certificates as well? They even offer yoga several days a week for all levels of experience. Plus, the last Saturday of every month, they have Psychic Saturday, where they offer discounts on readings as well as many healing sessions. Stop in to meet Shauna and the rest of the family there. They're located at 89 Old Main Plaza in St. Albans, where the Loop Pharmacy used to be. Or give them a call at 304-729-8055. Crystal Lotus, taking the spirit where the body cannot go. You're listening to the Psychic Coffee Shop Podcast Network. Choosing a psychic is hard, and you don't want to waste time finding one that's right for you. You've thought about calling into the show, but you want more privacy than that? With services from phone, email, chat, text, and his network availability, you need to check out ASIN's website at asinnight.com. Just a few clicks and you can have your own personal, private psychic reading. On asinnight.com, you can also find out about VIP packages, scheduling parties and events, and signing up for his classes. What are you waiting for? Talk to ASIN today. Oh, hey there. Sorry, we're just wrapping up the planning for Beltane in the Forest 2019. And let me tell you, it's been a struggle trying to figure out where to put all the vendors, performers, and activities. You're coming out on May 19th, right? What's that? You didn't know that you were invited? Bring the kids, spouse, bring everyone. Yes, that's right. Starting at 11.30 a.m., we have adult and children's activities, a barding circle, and of course you know Gypsy Rhythm is going to be there, Coonskin Park in Charleston, West Virginia. Look, I've got to go, but you can find out more on our website, BeltaneInTheForest.org. See you there. Well, welcome back. Thank you for paying our power bill. Check out our sponsors. I will be at Crystal Lotus tomorrow. But while we were on break, I was showing them a few of the other places, and there's a few in the U.K. that you can buy used tanks, fully operational. Yeah, they're a little old, but, you know, they're used. You ain't buying something brand new. But my whole point Mm -hmm. is, in general, is that, you know, if we're going to arm our police with military-grade equipment, and we all know how bad the police are, you know. Well, and hold on, many we already argued that a bad plan. Mm-hmm. No, no, I mean, that has been the outrage in that category, but, um, you know. And for any of our listeners who got super excited and checked out Walmart, I'm sure you're just as let down as I am, but it's a 116th scale model. Mm-hmm. Fully yeah. operational. Point Fully being operational. is you can still buy it. You keep saying that like I'm supposed to get excited. No, I'm not expecting you to get excited. There's no excitement in any of this. No point of this is when you remove the, oh, that's bad, that's negative, those are terrible, and you look at things from a different perspective. You look at things mm-hmm. that and remove the damn mystery and the, oh, you know, the smoke and mirrors bullshit, 
and you do, you know, you remove that, oh, this is so negative, that is so negative, this is terrible, that's terrible, this is awful, and you call it for what it is. And you go, hmm, well, gee, yeah, tanks are hard, you know, if they turn over, they're really hard to do, and hmm, you know, if you hit a tank with another tank, it takes a real lot of force to do damage. Well, we're wanting to make our cars safer. Why don't we just drive tanks? If we keep the, wrapping these people and wrapping things in bubble wrap, and that's what we're doing, then we'll continually have problems. We're going to continue, if we keep pushing everything to bad and negative and, you know, keeping it all basically hemmed up to, you know, instead of going, well, let's educate you. Let's actually see what's for real. Let's actually kill the hype because it's no longer this big negative thing, just like drinking has, just like the use of marijuana now popularly has become like whatever. Everyone does it. It becomes amazing how things stop being such a problem. It's amazing how, oh, my goodness, during my generation, we grew up with guns. We rode in the back of pickup trucks. We didn't have to have seatbelts on. Cars came with metal dashboards. But, gee, people still made it out alive. Isn't that so amazing that, you know, according to uh, nowadays, Everything was so terrible and wrong, and, you know, you'll die in a car accident if you don't have a seatbelt on. The airbags are now killing people, and we've got guns, and, you know, guns are killing people. No, it isn't. It's children who are not taught to respect the weapon. It's children that already have a mental illness and it's not being treated. It's children that were point-blank bullied but thought that, you know, everyone's going to be this class president, and they're all great and wonderful. Until they get to high school and kids start going, no, you're not so great. You ain't wonderful either. You're kind of weird and spooky, and you can go over there in the corner. You know. Well, I would have to disagree with some of what you said. Mm -hmm. Um, My biggest agreement, however, will be with, yes, we do have to examine these things. And, yes, we have to actually have conversations about these. Um, and ultimately, uh, ultimately, um, we're going to have to make decisions on these. Um, mm-hmm. that, that's the harsh reality of where we are, is mm-hmm. we've been having the same back and forth debate with, without action. So either we close the right. debate, we find mm-hmm. the middle ground. Or we find, you know, uh, as in these are the three options, or we go a totally different direction. Mm-hmm. Regardless, mm-hmm. Um, there's going to be risks. There's going to be rewards. Um, I would hope, however, that this far into um, especially the, the, the gun argument, um, mm-hmm. that we can sit down and actually mm-hmm. have the debate. Not not mm-hmm. just the, the philosophical debate of the Second Amendment and the propaganda well, version the that candidates. 
Pardon? That's not even a philosophical debate. The Second Amendment is law. It is not a question of the Second Amendment. What it is is a problem in general with three different things. One, the, you know, guns are bad. That's the normal stupid argument right now. And it's like, no, they're not. Guns aren't bad. Neither are hammers or knives or swords or anything else. It's a tool. Take the mystery away. Take the, oh, that's, you know, you know, if you ask someone two generations behind me about guns, we can go, yeah, they're used for war and kitten food. Big wahoo. Sit down and don't touch my damn gun. You know, like, sit down and don't touch my damn keys to my loader. We don't get that. They don't teach kids that anymore. They don't teach kids nothing. They bubble wrap them and give them all participation trophies, and everyone passes, and you can't use a red pen because it hurts their feelings. And then they wonder why we have such problems. I still argue, and, and just touching on the Second Amendment, I'm not saying the, 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 the Second Amendment doesn't exist or that the Second Amendment isn't a law. It's a law. I get that. What I'm saying is the applicability to this situation, this is so far beyond. Mm-hmm. This, this, this is so far beyond the what anyone could have imagined the Second Amendment being used to support that that the situation is hold on the situation is not one in which we're talking about its actual intention Mm -hmm. we're, we're not talking about those guns being used in a Second Amendment situation we're talking about those guns being used not against a tyrannical government, but being abused against the very people our government needs to protect. That's that's my argument. There is that if we're going to that that trying to argue this from a Second Amendment perspective, the the right to keep and bear arms, to protect yourself, blah blah blah. If we're gonna is this situation that we are in is so far outside of the intention of the Second Amendment to continue arguing it solely based on the Second Amendment is to sit there and and point blank say, matter how many people die doesn't matter how much harm is done. Doesn't matter. And I'm sorry, that's not anywhere near the concept behind the Second Amendment. The Second Amendment is about protection. It's not about the gun. It is a recognition that guns are a tool of protection. But at what point, and this would be the larger debate and the argument, 
that is a tool of protection have a negative consequence or a negative design or a negative use that warrants pulling that tool away from the public because mm-hmm. it poses too much risk despite its ability to protect. That's that's the debate we have to have. That's the framing that it has to occur in ultimately. Um, mm-hmm. So that because but if we see keep that's framing the argument and the framing of all the stuff on reason we can't get paint that actually covers a wall because oh goodness someone may do this or oh goodness it's that oh we need to protect this we need to you know oh that product is no longer good. You know, it's not good for the environment, it's not good for humans, blah, 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 you know, whatever. That's why the freaking ladders are covered in stickers, because people have lost their damn common sense. Well, the side note And we'll continue is, this later. Well, there we go. We're out of time. Mm-hmm. So tune in the next time to Mountain Bear so we can finish this talk. Until then, have a great night, and I'll see you guys tomorrow night at Crystal Isles. Choosing a psychic is hard, and you don't want to waste time finding one that's right for you. You've thought about calling into the show, but you want more privacy than that? With services from phone, email, chat, text, and his network availability, you need to check out Asen's website at asennight.com. Just a few clicks and you can have your own personal, private psychic reading. On asennight.com, you can also find out about VIP packages, scheduling parties and events, and signing up for his classes. What are you waiting for? Talk to Asen today. You're listening to the Psychic Coffee Shop Podcast Network.